Hey, Tracy. Hi, Heather. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Also good. Excited that we're getting into the last part of the year. Oh my gosh. Last, well, part of the school year. No, it's going to be when this releases, we will be in the the second half of the year. Oh, got it. Okay. I see what you're saying. Yes. The second half of the year. Second half of the year. The end of the school year. End of the school year. School is out. It is summertime. And how are you doing with balancing the mom life and work when there's no school? Um, you know, I am very fortunate because I have a full-time nanny and I have grandparents that are close by and I have a very, um, hands-on partner. And so I, um, don't feel like it'll be any different. No, the one thing is next week, um, my nanny is gone and Sean is gone (laughs) and that feels terrifying. So And it's the last day of school and I have all kinds of things planned, but you know, I'll get through it. Luckily. Yeah. I I will. The first summer that we're not having a full-time nanny. So it's feeling interesting. We got a pool instead. (laughs) That's your nanny. (laughs) That's going to be our nanny. It'll be fine. (laughs) That's awesome. I love that. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. So let's get to our podcast. So who is our guest this week? Our guest is Carrie Haynes. Carrie was our lender sponsor at Supper Club last week, and we loved having her at Supper Club, but also she came to our intensives and provided so much value on Mm -hmm. um, creating inspection responses. So Carrie, thank you so much for being here. Why don't you start by telling us who you are? Well, thank you. Um, It was an honor to be a part of Supper Club and just to be in the room with all the people that were there. So I'm really thankful to have had that opportunity. Um, So my name is Carrie Haynes. I am with Movement Mortgage in Kirkland. I work at the Powerhouse of Kirkland. I have, I am on the Murphy team. So Jim and Jackie Murphy, they have collectively been in the business for, I don't want to say too many years, but probably 35 years. Um, I have a wonderful team that I work with. We have three full-time assistants and they've been a really great guide for me. So um, being at Movement, we're impact lenders. So about 49, 48 or 49% of our profits go to help communities in underserved areas. So it's a great, you know, I mean, our business can be a little lucrative. So when you are able to give back at the same time, I think it's a, you know, you feel good. So I didn't know that about movement. I didn't know that but that was sort of your mission. I love the, what did yeah. you say? Impact? Impact lending. Lending. Yep. Awesome. So I believe it's 50 cents for every dollar of profit. They reinvest into communities, local communities. We have, they have schools that they build and a bunch of different projects that they're working on. And then they have, um, 
GraceWorks, which is their foundation. So that right now that we don't have any schools in the Seattle area or Washington, but GraceWorks has different grants and whatnot that we can, as loan officers or loan officers assistants, can nominate. So they'll give a portion of the proceeds to local charities. So our branch, I think, has already done thirty or forty thousand dollars in grants since yeah we wow. all came on at the beginning of January. That is awesome. Yeah. I, I love movements, um, marketing and just kind of everything that they, they put out the way they deliver information or you guys deliver information to me is, uh, really digestible and, um, nice to look at. And even yeah. the, you brought to supper club, a little booklet about, um, movement and I brought it back. I, and I, I mean, I don't usually look at things like that. Honestly, like people give you a pamphlet and it's like, Oh, okay, whatever. Totally (laughs) read it. I loved it. And I brought it to my team and I was like, we need to create something like this just for me. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. They do a really good job. They have hired, I forget what the guy's name is, but he used to work with Nike. I think Okay, he's helping them brand and he's helping them. Like, I think sometimes movements like that, which is funny to say that, but you know, when you're making, when you want that to be what your primary, I mean, mortgages are our focus, but being able right. to give back is, you know, that back end of it. Yeah. And when you, you don't clearly put that out there, like, I think it can't, can get lost. And so they've just done a really good job. Even the support they offer for us to offer to agents and in different, like they do a really marketing mm-hmm. is a really big part of when you brand. say that they, um, the marketing director is former Nike. I am like that tracks, like it feels, I don't know how, I don't know why this is how I'm describing it, but like, it has this like uh, athletic kind of, totally. it totally does yeah. feel. Yeah, it does. So, yeah. Um, okay. Well we could, we, we, uh, should move on with our, with our <laughs> real topic, not just marketing of movement. But, um, so first of all, we are so grateful that you are our lender sponsor. Um, you brought so much value to that conversation and the intensive, and, um, it's so important for us as brokers to have a lender expert in the room to kind of rein us in sometimes when we have these wild thoughts or, Hey, we do this. And then to have you say, actually, you know, you can't do you know, X, Y, or Z, uh, it just sort of checks, you know, what, how we're operating our businesses. So totally. we appreciated that. Thank yeah. You. We're really wanting you to guide our listeners through the six things that you brought up at intensives that are super important to remember about lending. So yeah. the first one is max seller concessions. So can you tell us, uh, Everybody listening probably is a realtor and has heard of seller concessions before. So don't go like too deep on just what it is, but what do we need to know about maximum? Like the, why, why is there a maximum? What are they? Yeah. So with the max seller concessions, you should be able to, if your lender doesn't have, their lender doesn't have it or whatnot, feel free to ask me or, you know, you guys have this information as well, but Every loan program, and depending on if it's owner-occupied, a second home, investment, each program and whatever kind of 
you know, whatever step in that home process they're at is going to have a different seller concession. So that's going to be a percentage. It's going to be anywhere from, let's say, one and a half, two percent to sometimes nine percent um, or six percent. So you just have to know that. So when you're negotiating, if you're getting a seller credit or whatnot, you need to you can't go over that amount. So knowing as you're negotiating, what your max seller concession is, is very important. That makes sense. And the reason this really came up at intensives is, is the topic was inspection negotiations. And mm -hmm. so when you're trying to keep money, cash money in your buyer's pocket to be able to do repairs from what came up on inspection, seller concessions is the best way to be able to keep cash in their pocket. So yes, for think, sure. And, you know, if you are, if you don't know exactly what that amount is, reach out to your lender partner and make sure that, you know, because you can't go over that and it's just going to create more issues down the road and you're going to have to do some revisions and whatnot. So, but it's a helpful tool too, um, to have that, to go in and get more money in your client's pocket. And like we were talking about, you know, sometimes it's better in some circumstances for that client to have that money in their pocket instead, you know, to do a buy down or whatnot, instead of maybe the seller doing those repairs. Totally. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, and then you have the opportunity to choose the contractor and the timeline because some things don't, some things aren't broken yet. Right. Maybe their life, maybe the life on the roof or the life of something is, you know, it's going to be in the next year or two, yeah. but it doesn't necessarily have to be replaced right, right now. now. Yeah. So true. So the next one is clean addendum. So <laughs> tell, us, tell us when you get an inspection response or an addendum and you're like, oh my God, what am I going to do with this? Tell us what is on those that can really kill a deal. So anything that's going to be Anything that's noted that needs to be fixed, especially if it's a health or safety hazard, if it is on the addendum, most of the time we will need to see, the underwriter is going to want to see that those repairs have been made. Totally. So not putting them on addendums is probably the best bet. Um, unless it's something, you know, like during the class we talked about, maybe getting, you know, the crawl space cleaned or something that is really easy and quick. Like as long as it's not something major or a health or safety or like, you know, the integrity of the home, mm -hmm. um, shouldn't be that big of a deal, yeah. but just making sure that those are clean and that you're not listing all these repairs, um, on that for us to see. I just thought of something too, um, kind of going back to the other one with seller concessions is I've seen a lot of brokers write $8,000, sellers shall contribute $8,000 towards buyer's closing costs in lieu of repairs. Yeah. Yes. Just leave well, that in lieu of repairs out. <laughs> in lieu of. Yeah. It, you know what it's for. Nobody yeah. else needs to know what it's for. Yeah, yes. for sure. It happens so much that people put that. I, and I know I kept joking about it at the class and this is being recorded. So I probably shouldn't say it as a lender, but sometimes the less we know, 
some things we just don't necessarily need to know. Well, um, and that, that was something else we talked about at the class is that once we have a purchase and sale agreement and it's moving forward, unless the addendum includes change of money, the lender really doesn't need a copy of it. No. So if we're not changing money, we're not, we don't have a credit. We're not changing the purchase price. We're not changing anything about that. You don't have to send it over. And I think that people just think um, they have to check the box of like, I deliver this to all parties, every single piece of information. And you don't have to do that. Yeah. It's better if you important to remember that. Yeah. yeah. That makes total sense. Okay. So the next one, let's talk about the seller's disclosure form. So form 17s, do you want those? No, we do not want those. And we also do not want that listed on the purchase and sale. So if underwriting sees that that's listed on the purchase and sale, most of the time they will want to review that. And underwriting, I always say the underwriters are like private investigators. So even if maybe you don't see something wrong, they mm -hmm. they may find something wrong that they don't like, or they want fixed, or they're going to ask more questions so we do not want to see that. So if you get um, a new purchase and sale agreement sent to you and the line 21 doesn't include the form 17, it's not written on the front of the contract, but it's part of the PDF. Are you dumping that part or like, or are you expecting that we send it to you in two PDFs or, or you don't even want to see it? We don't want to see it. It's better. We don't want to see it. If we see it and it's opened, we're liable to. You're supposed to give it to the underwriter. Yeah. 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 If you've ever heard Annie Fitzsimmons, the Northwest MLS realtor talk on, mm -hmm. on the topic of disclosures versus contracts. Yeah. The, the, the thing to remember is that the form 17 is not a part of the contract. Like mm, it's okay. a disclosure that the seller makes. It has nothing to do with the purchase and sale. I'm trying to remember. I mean, I, I'm fortunate that I have someone who like sends all my contracts around on my behalf. I actually have no idea if we deliver it as one. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna check on it. I mean, it's never come into play, so I'm assuming we don't, but I'm definitely going to like check on it. Yeah. I like the honesty there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sometimes right. people will ask me a question and I'm like, you know what, Connie? So we have three assistants, but Connie is who I is like, I cannot do my job without her. Yeah. She's lovely. She is the best assistant. She's been in the business for a long time. She just knows exactly what to do. So I'm like, you know, I'm going to speak. So I'm going to go ahead and get the answer. From her. <laughs> I called Connie and I'm like, what? Are, she's like, that's an interesting. I haven't heard that question in a while. <laughs> we all have our somebody. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay. So this next one actually came up in a conversation for me yesterday when I was mm. competing in multiple offers. Um, you know how FHA rates are lower than conventional right now? Yeah. They're very popular. So sellers and I think listing agents too have these biases against FHA loans because sometimes they can be more challenging, right? Um, and I'll let you talk about why they can be more challenging from from a condition perspective, but I just am going to get on a soapbox real quick in this moment and say that we have to be really careful as buyers brokers in this moment now when FHA rates haven't been lower than conventional rates before. Mm -hmm. And so they've never been advantageous for a seller to accept 
because of condition, but they truly could be the best thing for our buyers. So we need to be make sure that we are advocating for them and just really understanding from a seller's perspective that as long as you make sure that the condition of your home is such that an FHA loan isn't going to be a problem, you might get more out of an FHA buyer because their interest rate is lower and it shouldn't be a reason to not accept an FHA loan. Yeah, I think I kind of group FHA in with like VA for some reason, like some things about it got bad, got a bad rap. And yeah. I think it has to do with the appraisal and, you know, if the appraiser calls something out or, yeah. you know, you know, VA, that's a whole separate appraisal system. So those can take a little longer, but they really don't take that much longer. So I think FHA is the same. It's the rates are, are I'm not going to say they're like, no rate is great right now, but they're a little bit better. Yeah. Um, you know, they had, did an adjustment to the mortgage insurance. So that has improved. Um, so overall, like we are looking at both, we're looking at all the options. Sometimes right. for some people, even if they can go conventional, it doesn't make sense because they're going to save money if they mm -hmm. go FHA. The thing about FHA is that the appraisers can really, if they see an issue, especially again, you'll always go back to health and safety. If they see an issue, let's say, you know, I don't even know what necessarily to call out on it, but if they see an issue, they can force something to be inspected. So mm -hmm. whether that's, you know, a well or a septic a roof. button, a roof or anything, they, they can force that, um, to be inspected. So that's the thing, but honestly, personally, I haven't seen anything like crazy. Every loan program has like the one-off weird little thing that you're like, every, you know, it gets called out every 10 years and you're like, what in the hell? Yeah. But it's not, it's like VA. VA has its little things here and there, but it's, I think yeah. it's a wonderful program. And it's great for people that have maybe had credit issues in the past, it gives them like, everyone deserves a second, third chance. So it gives them that chance to get into a home. Totally. Well, and I think, I think too, um, as a listing agent, um, I, I feel super happy with FHA. The, where I'm choosing something else is because if FHA is up against something conventional or the conventional goes higher, you know, in the best interest of my client, that's a smooth, you know, the path hurdle. of least resistance, right? We're going for the path of least resistance for the yeah. highest net for our seller. And so um, it, it's not because I don't think it's not going to close or even that I think an issue is going to come up. It's just when, when competing, um, it just, it just is a harder sale, but I hear you, Tracy. I think it's a good point. Yeah. I think it's important to be a really a really good listing agent and mm -hmm. make sure that there aren't going to be any issues called out by FHA so that you don't have any concern about accepting one, because if that buyer is going to pay more, then it's definitely worth considering yeah. as long as you- And that goes back to, you know, you guys talking in the class too, about having a pre-inspection. Yeah. You should, as a, I, you know, for me, just because I'm like a planner, mm -hmm. if I was- the listing agent. I want to know, I want no surprises down the road. I want to know exactly what is going to come up. I don't want to deal with like, oh shit, this or this or this is wrong. Like I want to know. Yeah. 
And then, you know, it just seems like it would make the whole listing process and offer review. Like it just seems like it would be so much more streamlined because that piece of it is out of the equation. Like here it is, you know, and you can fix things before you go live if there's little things. So then you're not having to nitpick back and forth on the little things. Definitely. Yeah. So the next one was just understanding that even on conventional, there is some things to be aware of. And that's why um, I looked up a listing for somebody first thing this morning. And she said, I want my sister to have this house. Why haven't it sold? And I looked at the listing and it says cash out. So I know there's some sort of condition that's not going to work for conventional. So what, what are those things to look out for? Again, they're going to be those health and safety issues. So whether it's faulty wiring or the pants, something's bad with the panel. I mean, there can be, I mean, if you look at underwriting guides for every program, there can be so many things. The standard conventional appraiser doesn't open the electrical box. So those aren't really the red flags. It's, it's mold, lots of moss on a roof. Like they're like, whoa, this might actually be failing. Right. I've had those things come up finished spaces. So there can't be missing drywall. There has to be some sort of flooring surface, right? Like, and that again goes back, that again goes back to the health and safety. Safety. So you really just, I mean, you have to look at each thing like, okay, there's a hole in the wall and there's wires hanging out. Will the inspector or will the appraiser call that out? Yes, likely, you know, and I think that goes on to, um, you know, the listing agent, making sure that that's prepped toilets. There has to be functioning toilets in the home. Like Mm -hmm. there's, you know, it's little things. It goes back to kind of be one operating sink and a heat source. Yeah. Yeah. And I, when I, oddly enough, when I first started, I had like multiple people that wanted to buy like cabins, but they only had like wood stoves. And it was all this. So like little things like that, like you have to be, you just have to get a little bit more. We like to call it creative. Yeah. Some of those properties. That makes sense. For sure. Okay. So the last thing is tell us the deal killers for manufactured homes. So the deal killers for manufactured homes, one is if it's been moved, um, you don't, we don't want to see any additions or anything affixed to the home. So the deck can't actually be affixed to the home. And then if there's been any kind of modifications to the uh, foundation or whatnot, you're going to have to get another foundation certification and the appraiser will call that out if they see that. That is so crazy. I saw you listeners can't see Heather's face, but we're, we're, when we record these podcasts, we are on Zoom so we can see each other's faces. And Heather was just sitting there smiling and shaking her head. Um, I learned right before this podcast that Heather's never sold a manufactured home before, which just blows my mind because- That is actually shocking to me. Yeah. In Whatcom County, we have a lot of manufactured homes on land. And so I can't even count how many I have sold over the 12 years since I've been doing this, but I I've, I've shown them. Yeah. I've shown never. them a few times. It's yeah. just never come to fruition. We've ended up, ended up with like a small townhouse or a condo or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. Or people have changed their mind. I get, well, you're not in the market. You're not really the market. Yeah, I'm not in, in the market that's where there's not, a lot. Yeah. That's not, yeah. you're not seeing that a lot. Yeah. And it's so just, if you haven't worked with those before, you 
you know, as a buyer's broker or even as a listing broker, you might not know what questions to ask that are really important to be able to present the listing to market. And mm -hmm. one of those is you, you need to ask your seller, was this manufactured home put here first on this land? Is, is this the first place it's ever been? Because that's what Carrie meant by has it been moved before? Because mm -hmm. people will move manufactured homes from one place to another. And it won't be financeable once it's been moved because they're not made to withstand that. They're made to be built in a factory and set professionally on land and then left there. So after that, it won't finance again. Um, and then the other one you mentioned is uh, nothing affixed to the home. So when, when someone has like, I've seen some incredibly beautiful manufactured homes on land and they'll build like all these beautiful decks and like awnings over the deck decks, those can't be attached to the building itself unless you go to the Department of Labor and Industries and ask for them to come certify that it was done properly. So you have to have an LNI certificate if you affix anything to the property. Um, I have a question. Yeah. Is modular the same as manufactured? Nope. I've sold a modular home. So Okay. Modular is different. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, modular is like they make prefab basically. Yeah, like, they prefab it. Okay. And and then bring it, it in sections and uh, and put it together on site. Mm -hmm. But yeah, as a buyer's agent, I am the buyer's broker crawling under the deck at my showing because I don't trust these listing agents to make sure that the deck is freestanding. You want to see it sitting on its own deck supports and not attached to the structure. Otherwise, it won't finance. And so you're wasting your time if you write an offer. So if people list manufactured homes and they don't know what they're doing, they can really shoot their client in the foot. Oh, yeah. The I see deals killed all the time where they're like, well, the deck's affixed to the to the structure. And this seller is definitely not going to go to LNI and get a certificate. So guess what it happens? It's cash only now. And your price needs to be different if you're cash only. Why don't you just unscrew the deck and put a support? It's not that simple. Usually they're built off of a, of a building, mm. you know, like you would have to completely rebuild the deck. Got it. Wow. So. Yeah. Manufactured homes are like a whole beast of their own. There's like so many random little things. Um, I was just thinking, I feel like I need to make like a manufactured home, like one Oh one, like yeah. do's and don'ts. Yeah, I'm going to take totally. a deep dive into that. I'll share it with you guys. If I'd make one. That yeah. sounds amazing. Right. I also need things. a go-to person to refer them to because I'm realizing I, I don't want to do it. I do not want to become an expert at this point in my career on that right now. Um, mm -hmm. Just because it's just one more thing. Right. So if I had someone smart, someone totally. who was great, then they could do it. Oh my gosh, Carrie, these are these six things. And of course there's a million more things, million but more. these six things alone, I'm sure our listeners are going to be like, holy cow, I didn't even know that. Thank you so much for sharing them all with us. And I just want to encourage anyone listening that if you do not have a, an ally as a lender, that Carrie is a fantastic resource and um, you should definitely give her a call. For sure. Where guys. can they find you, Carrie? Where can they find you on Instagram? 
So gotcha. Instagram, my, um, I don't use my business one that much. I kind of hmm. want my personal more. I feel like some people kind of just start to do that yeah. after a while. So it's Carrie.Haines, H-A-I-N-E-S. And then I'm on um, Facebook, of course. And then Carrie.Haines at movement.com. Um, so yeah, if there's anyone out there that just doesn't feel like they're getting the support, mm -hmm. um, my goal, I don't have a work-life balance. I don't <laughs> believe that it's possible. I just don't, I'm sorry. I work 24 seven, but there's no stupid questions. I am almost always available. If I'm not available, I'm just a text away. And there's a reason I'm usually at an event or whatnot. I do a ton of networking and whatnot. So I would love to be a support for anyone that just doesn't feel like they're quite getting that. And I have a wonderful team behind me with a lot of experience to help, um, you know, take things all the way to closing. So I feel very confident about my team and I'm just grateful for the opportunity. That's so awesome. Good. Love it. So good. Well, thank you so much. I hope everybody has a great week and um, we'll see you Thanks next time. Joining us. Yeah. Thanks guys. Thanks.